live from the headquarters of Ramsey Solutions, broadcasting from the Pods Moving and Storage Studio. It's the Ramsey Show, where debt is dumb, cash is king, and the paid-off home mortgage has taken the place of the BMW as the status symbol of choice. We help people build wealth, do work that they love, and create actual amazing relationships. Christina Ellis, number one best-selling author, Ramsey Personality, is my co-host today as we answer your questions about your life and your money. Open phones at 888-825-5225. That's 888-825-5225. Jordan is in Rochester, New York, to start us off this hour. Hi, Jordan. How are you? Good. How are you, Dave? Better than we deserve, sir. How can we help? All right, so um, I'm 21, and I just graduated from college this May. Yay! Um, What's your degree in? Yeah, uh, information systems. Oh, I love it. You got the big job? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, actually was fortunate enough to get a job straight out of the gate, so fortunate enough for that. Yeah, what are you making? Um, a little bit over, um, I'm making 115000 Good um, Lord. And there's some bonuses. Yep. Straight out of college. That's awesome. Yep. I'm so proud of you. Great Thank job. You. Yeah, so my question is, though, I have $14,000 left in federal student loans. Um, and I also have a brokerage account with mutual funds that I've been contributing to um, since I was in high school. And there's $15,000 in those accounts. And I was wondering... Is it smarter for me to leave that money in the accounts and set up a payment plan to pay out those federal student loans, or should I just pull out all the money from those mutual funds and pay them off now? Three years from now, the answer mathematically will be almost equivalent. Okay. Okay. But if I woke up in your shoes, and you are an impressive young man, uh, Thank you. I, I would write a check today and be debt-free. And okay. along with that, the more important part of the conversation is this commitment to get out of debt, stay out of debt, and avoid debt permanently. That process, that promise to yourself will make you wealthy. Gotcha. Because if you don't All have right, any payments uh, and you make a hundred grand at twenty one years old, you can you can become wealthy, dude. And you're gonna be a millionaire. Yep. You're gonna be a millionaire by the time you're thirty. I'm hoping. No, you will be. If you do the stuff I teach you to do on this show and and in baby have you got a copy of Baby Steps Millionaires? I do, I've read it. Okay, then you know you know exactly what I'm talking about. You follow those yeah. baby steps, making 115 today with a four-year degree in information systems in a hot tech market like we're in. You're going to be making 200 by the time you're 25, and you're going to be consistently investing and being generous and living on a plan and being intentional and enjoying your money. But consistently investing, you're going to have serious bank, dude. I'm hoping. I'm no, uh, it's not a hope. It's about- a mathematical fact. <laughs> Jordan, I just feel so much joy talking to you to hear that you're 21 years old, you've got such a great income, and you're reading Baby Steps Millionaires. You're in the middle of this process. This is just so exciting. Yeah, just don't get stupid. You know? <laughs> I'm not. I'm uh, you know? living below my means, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So if, if along with this promise to follow the Baby Steps from the, the and say, I'm going to avoid debt so I can keep control of my largest wealth-building tool, which is my fabulous income and not commit it to freaking Lexus motor credit, right? Not (laughs) commit it to somebody else, not fall off the, not, not go be normal. 
are arrogant and think you're the exception of the rule and you can beat this or something like that. Just be boring as crap on your money stuff and just socking it away and being generous with it and enjoying it systematically with detailed intentionality like you would if you were working a, a flow chart for one of your information system situations, then you're going you're, you're gonna to be there, dude. You're going to be there. You, the, you, if you can just avoid the new car panic, if you can just avoid the, the whatever stupid things your friends get involved in like Bitcoin, if you'll just go do basic smart stuff, you're going to be unbelievably wealthy. And you've because you got such a freaking head start. Such a good head start. I love seeing those charts when it compares, you know, if somebody starts investing for retirement at 21 versus like 45. And I mean, it's just sad that a lot of kids miss out on the opportunity for all that compound interest. I mean, you know, everybody looks back and wishes that they would have done some certain things sooner. But it's like so cool to see that this generation is starting to jump on these principles early. And like Dave said, if you can stay focused, there's going to be so much temptation, the flashy car, the big house, the opportunity for a credit card, like all these temptations are going to come up. But if you can stay focused starting at 21 and push all the way through. Yeah, you're on your way, man. You're on your way. Just don't. Yeah. Just uh, avoid the the, the temptation to look successful don't nobody gives a crap how you look okay what, what you drive you know let, let's just be successful and, and you know we'll worry about how you look later uh, in in an instagram world you know let's try to actually be something instead of just look like something uh, you know the shallowness of our current culture um you know we have influencers who are influencing who have never done anything except mm-hmm. have a big Instagram account. And that's, you know, how, how do you get to be famous? You're famous for being famous, you know, in that case. Shoot me. Oh, God. But the, uh, you know, now I got a reality show. But no, instead, actually, just go be, do the stuff and be successful, not well, look. Right. And it's like, it's like what you say, like the paid off house has taken the, place of the bmw is a status symbol of choice it's like man if you're 30 years old and you have a paid off house and you're a baby steps millionaire that's gonna look so much cooler than if you're driving around in a flashy car that you can't really afford with a big old loan payment like that's not really cool in the grand scheme of things like building true wealth that lasts that is that's cool well done well done hunter's in el paso texas hey hunter what's up Christina, my question is uh, surrounding an incentive we receive at work. Uh, we get X amount of stock over a three-year vesting period for employee retention. And my question basically is how that's going to be taxed. As I read about it, uh, several sources say either capital gains or income tax rates. Uh, but I'm trying to figure out how to decide that. And my confusion comes with there not being an initial investment by me, how the capital gains would work. I was wondering if you could give me some insight and well, in either case, in either case, your basis is zero, so it's compensation. And if you don't, if you haven't held the stock vested for at least one year, for sure, it's not going to qualify for capital gains. So if it's under twelve months, it's going to be ordinary income, a hundred percent, a hundred percent of what you sell it for is going to be taxable in either case. Um, now, whether it, if you've held it three years, um, is it going to qualify because it's compensatory? Is it because it's compensation? Is it going to qualify for capital gains? I don't know that for sure. You would need to check your tax advisor to be sure on that. I am not really great at details on taxes. I know some of the basic stuff, but something like that, I personally call my tax guy and find out. 
so that I don't screw it up. And so I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I know the answer to that. But it will be one or the other, and it won't be, it'll 100% be ordinary income if it's under a year, for sure. No question about that. And for sure, your basis is zero. So 100% of the amount is taxable. Just not sure which rate applies after one year. One of the most common pieces of advice I give folks trying to get out of debt is to sell the car. And I get it. That's easier said than done. Selling a car takes a lot of time and hassle unless you use CarWiser. CarWiser is a free service that gets you the best offers instantly from dealers around the country. And it couldn't be simpler. Just enter your vehicle's information and boom, you've got offers to choose from. So go to CarWiser.com slash Ramsey. That's CarWiser.com slash Ramsey. Christina Ellis, Ramsey personality, number one best-selling author, is my co-host today. Open phones at 888-825-5225. Have you noticed that the stock market is down? Well, if you looked at it, you noticed. And some people are more than just noticing. They're like stressed out, freaked out, going, oh my gosh, I'm in freak out mode. A uh, little drama queen action going, right? Yeah, well... You need somebody in your corner when this stuff's going on that can talk you off the ledge, so to speak. You need someone to walk with you, talk with you, teach you, and that way you don't jump into the market and out of the market at exactly the wrong times, which is what your emotion will cause you to do. The data shows that the people who work with an investing with an investing professional actually end up making more money, mainly because they stay invested. And, you know, If the investing professional doesn't do anything except keep you from cashing in at exactly the wrong times, they will make you more money than they cost if that's all they do. And, of course, they do a lot more than that. They teach you about it. You make different decisions on taxes, all kinds of things. We recommend you work with what we call a Smart Vester Pro. Smart Vester Pros are people that they're investing professionals that we have vetted that will work with you one-on-one -on -one with the heart of a teacher. Go to RamseySolutions.com slash Smart Vester. You can find a list of these people that we endorse that we recommend the ramsey solutions way smart vester pros are everywhere RamseySolutions.com slash smartvester our question of the day comes from blinds.com find out for yourself why blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window coverings free samples free shipping and with the new promos they run every month you'll save even more use the promo code ramsey to get the best deal today's question comes from noah in arizona I'm about to graduate from high school. I have no credit card, and I was wondering how I can prove that I can pay my bills on time to an apartment owner to get a lease if I haven't started any major bills yet. The only bills I pay so far is car insurance. Do you have any guidance? 
Well, hey, Noah, good on you for thinking about that now. You sound like one of our foundation students who are getting that stuff in order early on, which is awesome. Um, one of the biggest things they're going to, going to want to see is your income. So I would really focus on that early on. You know, they're going to want to see a steady income history, which I know that can be hard straight out of high school. If you start working early on, maybe live somewhere with your parents for a bit and have that income history that's great. But also look into options like having roommates. I mean, you may not qualify for an apartment straight away if you don't have that steady job and proof that you can pay. Um, But you could always get a roommate who's got a lease and you can sign on and get a room with them. So Noah, what's interesting is, is this is one of the most pervasive myths out there. It's an absolute lie. You have to have a credit score to rent an apartment. You just don't. It's a lie. You know how we know? We took one of our Ramsey personalities, got them on the phone, put it on YouTube, and they called 27 apartment complexes and said, hey, I'm moving to Nashville for my first job. I don't have anything except a job. I have never borrowed any money. I don't have any credit score. Is that okay? Can I rent an apartment there? And they're like, yeah, sure. Do I have to do anything special? Some of them said you need to put up a little larger deposit. Um. Some of them said, we need to see your W-2. We need to see a, you know, we need to see a pay stub from the new job. Uh, well, I haven't ever borrowed any money. I don't have a credit score. No problem. No problem. Out of 27, three of them had a problem. Three. It's good odds. And these were like regular apartment complexes, corporate management, corporate ownership, all this stuff. So this idea that you have to have a credit score to rent an apartment is absolute bull crap. Now, uh, some, yeah, that's true. It is harder to rent a car with a debit card than it is to rent an apartment with no credit score. Much harder. Much harder. So this is just one of those things that people, this this mythology that people tell, we, we used to call it in the legal world, they call it street law. Everybody thinks they know what the law is because they heard something one time on Matlock, you know, and they don't know anything about the law, but the, everybody then starts to believe this myth this lie and it's spread around you know here's the thing noah call 20 apartment complexes and prove me wrong you're going to find three of them won't let you in and 17 of them will some of them want a higher deposit they all want what christina said they want proof of income they just want to know you can pay the bill if apartment complexes never rented to young people doing their first job they'd have no customers old people that have been on the job 25 years are not in apartment complexes people most of the time they're not the primary customer anyway Okay, so I just I kind of believed it. And then Anthony O'Neill, that used to be one of our personalities, sat down, dialed the phone and the YouTube of him dialing that phone. Nope, 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 nope. It's humorous. It's so ridiculous. And because it's one of these things that's just widely believed to be true. That is an absolute lie. That's humorous to me That, that, that it's the emperor has no clothes thing. We all believe that it's this way, and we're afraid to say out loud that it's not until you prove them with actual data. And so, just just amazing. So, let that myth be busted. There we go. Pop that puppy. All right. Brittany's with us. Brittany's in Cincinnati. How are you, Brittany? I am better than I deserve, Dave. Good. How can we help? I am calling to ask if we should pull from the emergency fund to help pay off our house. Is it an emergency? No. Why is it Um, called an emergency fund then? Exactly. So we were a little bit hesitant because we received an inheritance check 
And with that check and what we have in our checking and our savings, including the emergency, we could pay off our house in full. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so how much do you owe on your house? Um, after August, we will owe 61000 And how much was the inheritance check? 25000 Okay, and how much do you have in your emergency fund? We have in that account 20000 but only 12 earmarked for emergency. Okay, so you have a $12,000 emergency then, fund. Yeah, and then in our checking accounts, we have $20,000. Okay, well, the 20000 from your checking and the 8000 that is not earmarked as an emergency fund are not in this discussion. That's all going towards the house, right? That gets you there, yeah. though, doesn't it? Almost. Almost, yeah. And, and then what's your household income? Um, seventy. A little over $76,000. Yeah. Well, we do not recommend you go below the twelve, which is your emergency fund. So the answer is no, okay. we don't use your emergency fund to pay off your house. Now, if you had an emergency fund that was three to six months of expenses and you were on the six-month side and you wanted to cheat yes. back to the three-month side for a little bit, and that would do it, but that won't do it here, number one. Number two, your emergency fund's not huge. 12,000 yes. 12, mm-hmm. is not huge. Yeah, we're very frugal. Yeah. So 12,000 is good. I'm happy with that, but I wouldn't go below that. Okay. So what do you think, Christina? Take our time. Yeah, I agree. I think I love that you want to pay off the house, and I think that's awesome um, to be in baby step seven, but I think I would just take it a little bit slower to stay safe. I wouldn't, I wouldn't jeopardize the emergency fund because again you you could be you know have a roof problem or a leak and then all of a sudden you're in a whole nother different issue so um i love keep the gas on the pedal and keep going forward but just maybe slow it down just a tad bit so you can how much was the inheritance again um well we've had several portions but this time was twenty five thousand. okay all right so you have fifty three thousand dollars if you don't touch the 12 and you need 61 Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're within $8,000, and you make $70,000. So you're going to pay off the house yeah. by the first of the year anyway, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, we're not going below the emergency fund. Because all it does is take right. it takes about six months off this process, and you're within reach. If you got something else you can sell that you want to, pay off the house i'm okay with that but i'm not going in i'm not going into the emergency fund let me tell you what when you mess with your emergency fund for something that's not an emergency it's sending an engraved invitation to murphy saying murphy come screw with my life because he will he's standing there ready to come and you just open the murphy gate and let him in don't do that this is the ramsey show I've recommended Simply Safe Home Security for years, and over that time, they've just gotten better and better while remaining an amazing value. Their monitoring costs less than a dollar a day. Plus, unlike traditional home security providers, Simply Safe has no contract and no hidden fees. So don't wait to protect your home. Visit simplysafedirect.com right now and get a special 20% off. Simplysafedirect.com. There is no safe like Simply Safe.
Thank you for joining us, America. Open phones at 888-825-5225. Christina Ellis, number one best-selling author, Ramsey Personalities, my co-host. Kristen is with us in St. Louis. Hi, Kristen. What's up? Hey, Dave. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, so my question is about Baby Step 3B. Okay. So my husband and I are looking at starting this step soon. I'm due to graduate with my nurse practitioner degree in May. And since we cash flowed this program, we'll be getting done debt free. Ding, ding. So, way to go. Thank you. How'd you do that? So, um, well, I uh, worked full time until clinicals. And then my husband got turned in a side hustle to pay for the rest of the program. So. Wow. There you go. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well done. Okay. So thank what's you. your question? So um, we own some farmland that we're planning on building on. And mm-hmm. so I've heard you talk about um, step 3B with buying a home. But my question is, what is your recommendation for step 3B with building a home? Like with how much to save before starting or just your recommendations of that? Is the land paid for? So it the farm is, it, it's kind of like the farm pays for itself. Um, we kind of use that as a business where it's, the, it's separate. Now, is it debt free? It is not. Okay. Um, so how much yeah. do you owe on it? Oh, it, we just got it um, two years ago, and so we just started paying for it. It's about 55 acres. And what do you so owe like on it? 200 some odd. Okay. And what's it worth? It, now, it, land in our area skyrocketed, so yeah. it's worth much more than what's that. What's it worth? I honestly don't know. Give me a <laughs> guess. Completely honest with you. Give me a guess. Um, honestly, probably about four hundred thousand. I was going to guess four hundred. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. All right. And your household income is what? Um, right now, roughly eighty. Mm-hmm. And since I'm not working, but once I get done, it, we're looking at doubling that. Okay, so you're going to be making a hundred and ninety thousand bucks a year, hundred sixty thousand bucks a year, something mm-hmm. like that, right? And um. Mm-hmm. You have $200,000 worth of equity, and mm-hmm. that, that will form as your down payment if you go apply for a construction loan. Because when you okay. apply for a construction loan, what they're going to do is they're going to uh, probably not take a second position to your existing mortgage. They're probably going to pay off your existing mortgage in the construction loan so that they are mm-hmm. the mortgage on the property. And then okay. they're going to let you draw down against the rest of the construction loan to build the house. Okay. Okay. And then when it's all over, uh, if you spend three hundred thousand dollars on the house, you had a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage to start with. Then you're going to have a five hundred thousand dollar permanent mortgage that pays off the construction loan. Okay. When it's all done, but the fact that you have two hundred thousand dollars worth of equity makes this deal happen today with zero cash down payment. Okay. Because you've got this equity that rolls into the deal. And you're, you know, it's going to be as if you put down $200,000 because if it, like, if we use my numbers, if you built a $300,000 house on it, you've got, uh, you've got 500 in debt, but the property is going to be worth 700. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so there, that gives them the equity position that you need for the permanent mortgage for a traditional mortgage. Cause if you put 200 down on a 700 deal, that'd be great. Right. 
Right. And that, that's the same math situation you find yourself in then. So what's going to happen is you're going to have to have a, a, a certified contractor in your state. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to have a set of plans that are not on a brown paper bag that an appraiser can actually use to appraise the plan as if the house was completed. And the bank is going to require these things in order for you to get to build the house. Okay. You can't just make this crap up and they're going to give you half a million dollars or they're going to give you, you know, to do this thing with. And so the certified contractor, the fact the appraisal on the plans tells them that when it's done by the certified contractor, when it's completed on schedule and on budget, then they're not going to be at risk. The bank's not going to have too much in the thing. The third thing they're going to do make you do is go ahead and get your permanent mortgage and the permanent mortgage that it, get it get it qualified for it all the paperwork done they will issue then what they, the permanent mortgage will issue what's called a takeout letter and the letter states mm-hmm. that you have the mortgage in place to take out the construction loan because construction loan is temporary lending right so you take it out you remove it with the permanent mortgage when you're done now some banks will do the permanent mortgage in-house and the construction loan in-house churchill mortgage can do that for you too Okay, Mm -hmm. and so then you don't have to go to two different places to get it. But in every case, you know, oh, my husband's really good. He's going to do the building himself. That's not going to work. Right. Or here's our plan. We sketched it out on some on a brown paper sack. That's not going to work. They're not going to give you the money. Right. Very professional button down process here, just like you learned when you went to med school, but it's applied to the building industry. Okay, perfect. You can do this, though. You, you don't have to have a whole bunch of 3B to pull it off. Y'all can start working on it. You're going to have to have your job in place because you're going to have to have the income. You don't have enough income now to support this program. But when your job's there, you're going to be able to do it. That's pretty cool. They've done a great job. Yeah, that's outstanding. That's exciting to start visioning that up, too. That's a very exciting that you can sit there on 55 acres and start dreaming up what that's going to be like. Yeah. Woo. That's going to be a nice place. Nice place. Especially yeah. with a nice bump in income, too. You guys are going to be able to get to that spot where... You know, you're working through the baby steps and paying it off pretty quickly once you're all. You know what? That's true. They're going to be making, before they know it, they'll be making a couple of hundred Mm -hmm. and they'll be able to plow through that thing pretty quick. Noah's in Sacramento. Hi, Noah. How can we help? Hey, Dave. uh, I've got a question. I've got a uh, considerable amount of student debt in a parent plus loan, and I'm trying to figure out how to make uh, affordable payments on a loan that's in my parents' name that feels feels a little bit unaffordable at the moment. What's the total amount of debt? Uh, it is one seventy-five. And good lord, are you a doctor or a lawyer? Neither one. What did you get your degree in? Uh, Christian Ministries. I'm a pastor. For one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Bad choice. And um, got that was not. Uh, you may be called to the ministry. You weren't called to this mess. Um, the uh, <laughs> I agree. What is your What is your household income? Uh, Sixty thousand. Oh, son. I'm so sorry. So, mom and dad took out these loans, the Parent Plus loans. Correct. And they can't pay them. They they I mean they can pay part. Our agreement was that we would split it half before mm-hmm. I went to school. That was the that was the agreement. Are they struggling to pay them right now? 
they've been in deferment and, and forbearance and whatnot. So nobody's made any payments on them at this point. Mm. And I mean, my parents' household income is considerably more, uh, than ours. We're just trying to figure out, uh, again, I, I don't know how a lot of this works, but I've uh, been told by the, the lender and whatnot that we can't like consolidate them into my name or anything no, like that. Can't. And so we're you just can't. trying to figure out what you to just do. Have to, they're going to be in their name. You're just going to assist in the payment of it. And so they're going to sure. give you like their password and the website, and you're going to jump on there and pay payments on their loan. It's their loan. It's going to be their loan until it's over. But you're just right. your, okay. your, your moral agreement, your handshake is that you're picking up half of it. And so um, what, what does your wife make? Uh, she's not working at the moment. We have a young daughter, and she's pregnant literally nine days past her due date today. Oh, wow. That's our good. second kid. Good. Congratulations. Okay. Uh, so I, I assume you. she's planning on going back to work, though. Uh, yeah, when when we don't have very young children, yes, that's the plan. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you're just going to be paying payments on this, Noah. Noah um, and the math is telling me that this is a highly stressful situation. So I, it is. I I, I, I think you're going to be running. You're going to be what we call a bivocational pastor. Uh, you're going to be running side hustles of some kind. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't. If it doesn't, most pastors statistically, one number I saw was 80 percent of them are bivocational in America right now. And there's no shame in that. It's not. It doesn't diminish your call. It doesn't do any of that. But uh, it's not unusual at all for a, a young pastor to be bivocational. And you're going to have to have some more money. It's a mathematical problem you got. scripture of the day galatians 5 13 for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another audrey hepburn said as you grow older you will discover that you have two hands one for helping yourself and the other for helping others very good Christina Ellis, Ramsey personality, number one best-selling author, is my co-host today. John is with us. John is in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Dave and uh, Christina. Um, just had a quick question for y'all. I'm a uh, master financial coach on Baby Step Four. I've been following you and your program for uh, gosh over five years. Um, I switched careers about almost two years ago to become an insurance agent and that job went, um, full-time, uh, remote, uh, got engaged, um, to a girl who lives in Mexico and had been spending a lot of time between Texas and working in Mexico. And, um, I just wanted to see your thoughts. I've been seeing this opportunity and, and, you know, moving away from, from California after being there for so many years because of the expense, um, I've been seeing that, you know, you can have a pretty good life, like in, in, in a safe part of Mexico and even a beach life and things like that. And I've been thinking about, you know, maybe doing that in the, um, uh, you know, going forward here one day as kind of like a more permanent move. And just wondered your thoughts on that. Your reason for doing this is that your girlfriend is there. <laughs> 
No. Well, um, she, we're going to be we're going through the immigration process, and she's going to be having to live in the U.S. under green card before um, she can become a U.S. citizen. But then once she does that, my real motivation is because of the the U.S. dollars of income and spending pesos, which you know pretty much takes you you know takes you a lot further, right? It takes your money a lot further. Mm. No, I mean it converts, and then it's a bazillion pesos. You know, pesos about a nickel right now, and um, so it just takes a lot of pesos to get you know twenty of them to get to a dollar, right? Still, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And and my 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 well, I guess it's still a two hundred dollar um, hotel room, and it's still the equivalent of two hundred dollars in pesos. It's not like. Because the peso is less that the hotel room is one twentieth, it's still there. Right. Like like for example, my, my fiance has a two bedroom um apartment for five hundred dollars a month, you know, and like in you you know, in a great area, you know, and that's considered like, you know, the rich part of town here. Yeah. Well, I mean um, the cost of living in general in Mexico is there, but it's not because of the conversion of pesos. It's just the cost of living is lower. Um, and in many cases, the standard of living is considerably lower, but not every case. Um, I love Mexico. I, um, I, and, and honestly, I love Mexican people. They're some of the sweetest people on the planet. I just, I, I thoroughly enjoy traveling there. Um, so I'm a fan in that regard. Um, I, 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 you know, and if you're a young guy getting married and you, you want to call that, uh, would I expatriate to Mexico? No, I would not. But would I live there for a while as an adventure with your new bride and say, we're going to live here for four or five years and just have that part of our adventure, and then we might move back to Texas. But you don't have to take the U.S. off the table, and it's certainly not a statement that the U.S. is going down the toilet because you want to do that. It's just like, hey, man, I could go down and live on the beach, and it doesn't cost a lot, and we're young and married, and this sounds like a fun portion of our life let's go do that it's like some kid backpacking europe for two years after they get out of college or something that's cool go do it that's great you know that's fine but um but i wouldn't say that this is like a permanent thing or a policy decision or everyone ought to do it or something like that it's just like you're just kind of on an adventure you're gonna go surf a little i'm assuming you can run your business from there right uh, I'm working for an employer in my uh, small small agency, and they uh, they don't have a problem with me doing this. Um, I mean, I've been doing it for about seven eight months now, off and on, and yeah. the internet's great, and and you know it's safe where I'm at, and yeah. you know, and you know, that's I mean, like the fourth time you said I mean, it's, it's safe where I am. <laughs> so, which means that, which is is an indication that you do understand the truth. It's not all safe. So, um, yeah, I'm law and order is a problem. Yeah, I'm with Dave. Mm-hmm. I think if this is something that you want to do because it's fun, it's something that you want to do to be near your future wife's family, if this is something you want to do because it's a joy and an adventure, that sounds awesome. But if it's out of fear that you're you know, not going to have enough money here in the U.S., if it's something that's kind of just a negative thing where it's like you're, you're going to Mexico to try to save money, but you know, there's fear around money here and does the convert like that? That kind of sounds like a bummer. I think that in the career that you're in, you can make enough money to have a great life here in the States. Um, but again, if it's exciting, then then more power to you. Living on the beach, I think that's awesome. Yeah, have some fun with it. All right, Mike is with us. Mike is in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure, how can we help? 
Um, I started watching uh, your, your show and listening to your show about five years ago, and it was then I decided to get serious about paying debt, so thank cool. you very much for that. Thank you. Um, since then, I've paid about $382,000 in debt, and all I have left is the mortgage. Yay! Good job. Yeah. So after paying about $150,000 towards the mortgage and then refinancing at a lower rate, I kind of fell off the bandwagon of the 15% investing and tackling the mortgage and then instead opted to save approximately 60% of my income for the last two years. So I stopped heavily going after the mortgage. So on short notice, I got moved for a job and in two weeks I'm going to close on a new house for 415000 and because it was such short notice, I didn't have enough cash for down payment, so I took a brokerage loan of 80000 for the down payment. I plan to keep my previous primary residence as a rental. Um, so all this has gotten me focused on paying back debt, and I'm planning to be 100% debt-free in six years. The question I have is, I know you recommend the smallest balance first because of behavior modification reasons, but does that same principle apply to mortgage debt too? No. But if I'm in your shoes, I'm not going to have that problem. I wouldn't keep that other house. You're in debt up your eyeballs, man. You, you just fell completely off the wagon and rolled down the road. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And you went to a brokerage account for a down payment. You're curling with two hairs I have left. Unbelievable, man. You are really playing it. So, no, I'm sell the other house and get this mess cleaned up you made. Would it change anything if, you know, my mortgage payment on that house is $350 a month, but it rents for 3000 Nope. And it could be additional income? Nope. Because you know how you bought that rental property that has this great cash flow? Because you borrowed against your current residence. You didn't affect, you didn't actually, but on your balance sheet, you did. Because since you didn't put down all of that equity on this current house, you're up to your debt, up to your eyeballs in debt on this current house. So it has the same effect of, hey, I had a house almost paid off, and I just went and borrowed on it to buy a rental, and now I'm smiling because the rental cash flows. Nope. No sale. Hmm. I, hey, okay. you do whatever you want to do, but I'm telling you, the shortest distance between where you are and wealthy is not leveraging your personal residence up to your eyeballs to own a rental property that cash flows. It's not. You've added so much risk to your life. Um, well, the renter's going to pay it. The renters don't always pay. Well, you know, you know, you know what happened during the pandemic? It's called a moratorium on eviction. And so they sat there on their butts and didn't pay you a dime because you couldn't legally do anything about it. And they're just sitting over there grinning, living in your house for free. There went your cash flow. No, that, no way, dude. Don't need the risk. Don't need the risk. Uh, you can do whatever you want to do, but I think 10 years from today, you're going to regret this move versus if you get completely clear house and everything and then start investing on the side and save up and pay cash for your rental, that's what I would do. It's going to feel so much better that way. Like yeah. this, this way sounds very stressful, and I know so, that deep down it feels that way. Yeah, Mike, the problem with our stuff is you can't go through it like it's a buffet and just pick some of the stuff off the buffet. You kind of got to do the whole thing or it doesn't work. That puts this hour of the Ramsey Show in the books. Good job, Christina. Good job, Austin and Will and Zach and Andrew and James. I am Dave Ramsey, your host. We'll be back with you before you know it. In the meantime, remember, there's ultimately only one way to financial peace, and that's to walk daily with the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus.
Dave here. You can find all of our shows with the Ramsey Network app on your smartphone. It's the only place to listen to the entire back catalog of episodes. Download the Ramsey Network app in your favorite app store today.